Sensitive breeding. Rich bouquet. Strong venosity. Well, it's a burgundy. I'm just not sure whether it's a Pinot Noir or a Gamay. That was Columbo, the wine snob. <laughs> One of my favorites, if not my favorite, for a lot of people. Any old port in the storm at Donald Pleasance. Great Columbo episode from, I think, maybe season three. Back in those days of the NBC mystery movie wheel. Hi, everybody. It's Tony Mazur, and uh, this is the Check Your Brain podcast. And this is another podcast where I talk about Columbo. Is that okay? <laughs> it's a uh, great podcast today. Um, for folks who've been longtime fans of mine, and which means you've listened for about a year, because that's as long as this podcast has been around, I got a chance to interview Mark Dewidziak. Mark Dewidziak has written for a lot of entertainment columns for a number of newspapers over the course of many decades, and is kind of retired right now. And I got a chance to talk to him about the Columbo file, which came out in 1989, and it was a it was a book where it was the extensive Columbo. But remember, Columbo was on the TV in the 70s. This is by the end of the 80s, where they're about to reboot the series again. Well, I'm going to talk more Columbo today. And today's guest is David Koenig. And he has a new book out. It's called Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumpled Detective. And it's a great podcast. Got a chance to talk to him a lot about what went into the book and just uh, being a fan during the whole pandemic. And we're going to talk about that at the beginning about how people are like, hey, let's go backwards and watch Columbo. So it was, it was a really good time. We talked about some of the great guest stars, the great favorite episodes. A couple of times that Columbo actually did lose his cool. We talked about Mrs. Columbo and the new Columbo episodes when they revamped the series and what convinced William Link and what convinced Peter Falk to reboot this already classic series. And we kind of saw that in the early 90s where you were seeing New, uh, like I think Heart to Heart was brought back and a lot of other uh, TV shows that people enjoyed from the 70s and early 80s. Then they do a new love boat and they brought Gilligan's Island back. It was the time of reboots and uh, Columbo was one of them. So talked about all of that. So make sure you go check out David's book with the link is in the description right now. Get it? Link, William Link, the guy who helped co-write the series. <laughs> so talked a little bit about that. Hope you enjoy this podcast. But in the meantime, one of the other humorous elements of Columbo was talking about uh, the scene from the Dick Van Dyke episode where Columbo is actually tra he's he's in the car with a driving instructor, and it's featuring Larry Storch, who right now, as of this recording, is still alive and about to turn 99. So I uh, uh, hope you enjoy this podcast. But here is uh, Columbo getting a driving lesson and freaking Larry Storch out the point where he wants to jump out of the car. So uh, by, by the way, I uh, hope you subscribe on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Tony Mazer. These episodes. Uh, are free every Wednesday, but for five bucks a month, you get unlimited podcasts, basically. I do upwards of 20 to 25 podcasts per month for just $5 a month. So I hope you can uh, do that. If you aren't subscribed for free, you can subscribe for just five bucks a month on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. Well, here's a little Columbo for you. Look behind you, Lieutenant. What is it? When you pull away from a curb, you must look behind you. Sorry, sir. All clear now. Keep your eyes on the road, Lieutenant. Oh, I'm all right, eyes sir. On I'm the all right. Road. I'm all right. Don't worry. But I'm not. We're going to turn at the next block. Turn at the next Signal. block. Signal. Watch your right. Always watch that right. And the left. And your eye has to be trained. Watch it. Watch it. Pull over. What? Just 
Pull over. Would you shut off your engine just to be on the safe side? Yes, sir. Lieutenant Colombo, I'm sure you have a driver's license. It may even have been issued in this state. It may even be valid. But all of these things notwithstanding, I'm sure you'll understand why I'm electing to walk the rest of the way. Tony Mazur here, and uh, we're kind of hopefully coming out of a pandemic to this point where uh, we can finally go out and enjoy the holidays and do a lot of stuff. And uh, we, we don't have to be as cooped up in, at home. But I would have to say out of the times when I was stuck at home in the last year and couldn't really do much, I would go through the TV. But I, I, I'm not as much as we may be in a golden age of new television shows right now and people really enjoying what is going on out there. I've often found myself going back in time, whether it's old sports casts and uh, a lot of old movies and even TV shows. So while everyone's watching, you know, uh, last year everyone's watching Tiger King and now Tiger King 2 is out. I'm sitting there going, oh, well, let's say I'm going to watch Mannix. Uh, oh, Barnaby Jones is on tonight. Who's the who's the guest killer today? And, and of course, the big one was Columbo. And Columbo, uh, which I have been a fan of for many years, way before the pandemic. In fact, I have a Halloween costume where I dressed up as Columbo just a couple of years ago. Even though nobody nobody under 55 knew who I was, but that's okay. Uh, th th somebody thought because I wore the the, uh, tr the overcoat that they thought I was like a streaker or something. I'm like, no, you don't want to see what's inside my coat here. But uh, Columbo ended up being a very popular show for people to go back and watch on IMDb TV, me TV on Sunday nights during the pandemic. And I happen to be uh, uh, to have on the podcast here today uh, with somebody who wrote a book recently, just came out a couple of a uh, couple of months ago um, uh, about the 50 years of Columbo. And the book is called Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of the Rump uh, of TV's Rumpled Detective. And that's David Koenig here. And uh, David, uh, thanks again for coming on. And uh, I, I guess talk about the process of, of putting this book together. Was it uh, several years in the making or was it one of those where some other than Mark Dewitziak's book with the Columbo file, we need something more. Uh, more stories need to be discussed when we're talking about this classic TV show. Right. Well, that was one of the inspirations was after I, I've been a lifelong Columbo fan. And after reading Mark's book, which first came out in 1989, I was like, wow, this is great. But it made me hungry for even more, you know, a, a, a lot more deeper additional information uh, in addition to what was in his terrific book. And so I wish somebody would write one for many, many, many years. And, and after no one did, I said, well, I guess it's going to have to be me. So I just started finding everybody I could that who was still around. Uh, from those days, I thought it would take, uh, you know, 10 years or more to actually do the, the writing and research as it does so many of my books. But then the pandemic came and all the people I wanted to interview were suddenly uh, no longer working. <laughs> They're all trapped in their houses with nothing to do. Um, so they had nothing better to do than to, to let speak to me about Columbo. Yeah. And especially for a, a TV show like this, that it, it really I mean, when you think about when when they brought it back, the lifespan of Columbo ended up being nearly 25 years, uh, even though it wasn't con continuous, but it was on television and people knew about it to the point where Columbo is a it, it's like a phrase that you say where it's like, well, I'm not trying to be Columbo, but here's what I think about this situation. And it's it become part of our vernacular, whether we 
are diehard fans or not. That's It was just a classic case, and it was like right place at the right time for people like Peter Falk and Levinson and Link. Oh, and absolutely. And in a sense, even though they sort of dribbled out the episodes, first there was a pilot, and then there was the three years later there was another pilot, and then six months later the NBC mystery movie started, and there were only you know seven Columbos made originally, so they were spaced out once a month, and then you know for many seasons there were never more than a half dozen or so made a year, sometimes as few as one or none a year over this course, yet the show never left the air. It was so popular that it was either when it was in first run, there was constant reruns, and then once it dropped off the air uh, in between its two major runs and then after Peter Falk uh, sort of hung up the raincoat, um, it was on the late show and uh, you know now streaming and you know uh, cozy TV and, and a million other outlets. Well, when you talk about the you know, the continuous Columbo, and when I think about it, a normal TV series, you know, when you have a pilot and you have, the oh, we're going to order 24 episodes, we're ordering 13 episodes, or whatever the case is, we're kind of conditioned that way nowadays, is that, or now that we have the streaming services that, oh, Netflix just ordered an eight episode or a 12 episode uh, series here. And we're conditioned to the point now where, oh, no, that's uh, this is what happens. This is what, um, you know, we'll, we'll and then we'll binge watch. We'll see the first couple episodes and uh, episodes three to seven. We'll watch tomorrow because it's going to be cold on the weekend. And, you know, and then it leads up towards the end. But that's not what Columbo was at the beginning. And especially someone like Peter Falk, who was a stage actor who went into movies. And in those days, it seemed like it was a. Uh, going to television was like taking a step down. Is that how he always viewed it? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And he, he just thought it was uh, uh, going to be a one shot with Columbo. He heard about the, the script for the you know movie of the week. They called them world premieres back in, back in the day. And he just thought it was going to be a one shot. And it was originally designed to be a pilot for a potential series. Um, but that's not the way Peter Falk looked at it. He, he had no intention of doing a series. He had done a, a series called The Trials of O'Brien about being some sort of shyster lawyer in the early 60s, and he wanted no more, no more part of uh, you know, series television. He'd, he'd do some TV movies of the week, and that, that was it. But uh, then about uh, three, four years later, after the, the original pilot, um, a, he needed the money, <laughs> and B, they came up with this uh, idea called The Wheel, in which instead of having these big-name actors do 24 shows, they'd get three or four of them to do three or four different series of six to eight episodes apiece, and then they'd rotate them from week to week to week, and that convinced people like Peter Falk and uh, James Garner, who really didn't want to do too much TV, uh, to do a little bit and, and establish their, their higher profile. So let's go back kind of to the beginning and what got uh, Peter Falk interested. So it, it's a state originally was a stage play by William Levinson or Richard Levinson and William Link. And we actually just lost uh, William Link not too long ago. And it, it, that's how it kind of started. And, and Columbo was basically wasn't the main character of the stage play, but he was the one who kind of took uh, the, the spotlight from a lot of it. Right. Absolutely. Because and, and it was mostly the acting rather than the, the play itself. The play itself is terrific, uh, but to read it just on the page, you come away that the murderer is the, the main character. Um, so when they cast the play, uh, 
Um, they cast uh, Joseph Cotton, who's famous from uh, you know Orson Welles movies and the, the Third Man and, and such. They cast him as the lead killer, Dr. Fleming, and a couple other movie stars. And then as the supporting player of Lieutenant Columbo, they named uh, Thomas Mitchell, who was, was people may know from uh, Gone with the Wind and uh, uh, you know some a lot of uh, old movies uh, from the 30s and 40s. And he sort of brought to life this character. He had sort of a, a twinkle in his eye and has played it up sort of like a, a, a leprechaun in a way and took people by surprise and sort of stole the show. The only problem being that a month into the run, he, he had a uh, uh, heart attack and found out he had cancer and was dying mm. and had to leave. So they continued advertising as if he were in the play for the remainder of his run, even though he was... Uh, you know, back home in California dying. And then a lot of people, because when I was first told that they were going to start doing a series with it, and when you hear about Bing Crosby playing Columbo, and uh, every single person has that visceral reaction at the beginning, like, Bing Crosby is Columbo? And then when you start to break it down, you go, okay, that makes sense. Instead of uh, what ended up being the signature cigar, it was a pipe, and it, it, it made a little bit more sense when you broke it down, but it was still kind of shocking, and I guess Bing, at this at that point in his life, probably by the time I think it was he passed away, maybe about six or seven years after, that he just wanted to golf at that point. He wanted to do some of the charity stuff. He really wasn't at that level. And then Peter Falk comes in, and a, a big thing for for him is uh, when you look at a character like Columbo, and then you see him in other sh uh, other movies or TV shows where he's a guest here or he's in the. Like if you watch in The Great Muppet Caper, he has that quick scene with Kermit the Frog, and it's like, oh, it's clearly it's Columbo, but because he made the character. Like it w Columbo would have been a different character if anybody else played it, but he just took that role, and it was almost interchangeable that Peter Falk is Columbo and Columbo is Peter Falk. Well, that, that could not be truer, and that's one reason why Columbo is still so popular today is because... Peter Falk innately was this lovable guy that everyone who met him, knew him, or worked with him, no matter how crazy they drove him, they just loved him. He was just this, this uh, magnetic personality, um, and so much of himself he poured into the role of Columbo. When he first did that original pilot, if you watch that prescription murder from 1968, um, it's basically just the play with Peter Falk as an actor playing that role and certainly because it's peter falk there's a little bit of his personality in there and there's a little bit of uh, you know similarities to the role as it was written but it wasn't until it became a series that he figured you know what this part i'm going to be doing maybe for a long time and it has to be a little quirky for people to come back week after week after week and i'm definitely the main character i'm the only recurring character from week to week I've got to make this character a little deeper and how he did that was putting all his own personal mannerisms, traits, and, you know, personality into the role from his, his own forgetfulness and curiosity and sloppiness and, you know, and goofiness and, you know, the, every, everything about the character that we know and love. That's what Peter Falk was like in real life. And when you look at how the mystery movie format, the wheel that was, again, very popular at that time. But what made it, it Columbo even more interesting 
was that it wasn't the same director every week. That every time, like you had a young Steven Spielberg was a director. You had Nicholas Colasanto who played the coach in Cheers. You had Ben Gazzara did one. Peter Falk even directed a Columbo. Uh, so it, it, so in Peter Falk's mind, it was like he was filming a movie because he didn't have to do, a, a, a again, a 12 or 24 episode uh, uh, uh you know, acting appearances at that time, he could film a couple kind of like he was filming a movie and how the the a diverse amount of directors who had a different vision for Columbo, yet what do we all come back to? It's uh, you're going because it's Peter Falk. I just thought there was a very interesting concept, not just the wheel, but the wheel of directors as well. Yeah, well, that and the wheels of producers and composers and everybody else because that was part of the deal to convince Peter Falk to do the series and to convince Levinson and Link to set the show by, uh, you know, setting up the series uh, beyond the pilot and executive producing the first year was that this wasn't going to be a normal television series. They demanded the budget and the personnel to make sure that Columbo, at least when it first started, was the equivalent of a motion picture feature, you know, a, a every single episode it wouldn't be uh you know just a a slapdash thing that one episode was interchangeable for the next and as you say there i mean you think about the directors they had steven spielberg directed an episode jonathan demi you know who later did silence of the lambs uh, did an episode and and many other famous directors uh, jack smite who you know did a bunch of steve mcqueen movies um, all these, uh, you know, fairly well-to-do people, many of them who did not do much television, and then all the art direction and, and everything else was was top flight and top of the line and specifically designed to have a different look and feel from one episode to the next. So it didn't feel like this was just one long continuing series, but that each one was its own self-contained movie. Were each of the directors fans of Columbo? And the second part of that is, was was Peter Falk a fan of each director? Was there, or did they were there problems where they didn't see eye to eye when it came to production? And no pun intended there. Right. Well, I think Peter Falk, although he could be difficult to deal with, particularly with the executives at Universal, which produced the show, and NBC, which uh, aired the show, he, he often fought with them. Um, but with the director, uh, he usually got along well because they all realized, you know, this show only exists because of Peter Fox. So they would cater for him to him the best they could. They were in the very beginning before it first took off. Um, he had minor run-ins with, with, like I mentioned, Jack Smite, who directed one episode and would do no more <laughs> after after the trouble he had the first one. Um, but they usually worked together very well because they understood that it was it was his show, and if if he wants to do fifty takes, we're going to have to do fifty takes. It's it, it's fascinating when you watch these episodes, and like like you said, that you can definitely tell. You don't even have to be a, a film buff or a TV buff to understand that there's a different feel to each episode. That and that's why people some there are some episodes that people love, and I think there's a lot of shared favorite episodes for a lot of people. There's also a couple of episodes I didn't think were as good. Um, one of the episodes, I think it was called A Matter of Honor, and that was with Ricardo Montalban. And I'm thinking, oh, this has got to be a great episode because it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's con, it's, uh, you know, rich Corinthian leather. And 
And he, plus, it's Columbo on the road. He's not in Los Angeles during this time. So it wasn't my favorite, but there's other episodes that start popping up where it just seemed like there is a collective feeling where like, oh, no, that's a top five episode for me. And uh, it's it's just a show that – but then there's others, like I said, that you don't think two things about and you're like, oh, I haven't seen this one in years. It's like, it's actually a better episode than I remembered it. Yeah, well, no, I, I agree completely. And I, I think the, the episodes that uh, sort of – turn off the majority of people are ones like you mentioned the a matter of honor with ricardo montalban because it's a little atypical and and that one is boring as heck i mean not a whole lot happens in it um but some of the others there's one that patrick mcguin directed called last salute to the commodore which is just extremely different than all the normal columbos and that turns a lot of people off and i think the ones that people love the most are are some of the ones that have a little heart in in them um, two of the most frequently cited ones called any old port in a storm with Donald Pleasance is the, is the old wine connoisseur, uh, that Columbo takes a shine to. And there's another one called try and catch me with, uh, Ruth Gordon playing uh, sort of Agatha Christie type murderer. Who's and both of these are extremely sympathetic characters who are like forced to murder because the, you know, the love of their life is being stolen from them. Um, so I think those are, are the types that that just really extra get under people's skin and they they just have an extra high fondness for. That's what I have in my notes right here, my favorite episodes. And I think they're probably the standard favorite episodes for a lot of people. It's like you mentioned, Any Old Port in the Storm, Try and Catch Me, Suitable for Framing, Murder by the Book, Now You See Me and Publisher Parish all had Jack Cassidy, uh, and uh, Dawn's Early Light, the one with Patrick McGowan, who the first of his many appearances with uh, both on camera and off camera. Talk about why Jack Cassidy worked so well for Columbo, because you know, for a guy who is a also a stage guy, he was never a, a star of really anything. He was always like he would be a guest star, especially in the 1960s. But Jack Cassidy fit that role so well. But from what I was reading about in your book, it really was kind of by accident that Jack Cassidy was in that what we call like kind of the first of the Columbos. Yeah, well, he, I think Jack Cassidy was just who he was and how he came across, how he looked and acted. He was just the perfect opposite of what Columbo was. He was just so, and this is many of his roles, not just his roles in, in Columbo, but he just has this natural haughtiness, this natural pretentiousness. He's, he's this very um, man, well-mannered, you know, there's this, Beautiful platinum hair. This, uh, you know, he's he's just he always seems rich and snooty, um, and like he feels he's above the other person, and that's the perfect type of character that plays off of Columbo. And his episode, uh, the first episode he did was actually the second episode filmed, but um, that was the one directed by Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. Murder by the Book. And when it was uh, a finished. Levinson and Link, who had created and directed and written the previous episode, said, oh, my gosh, your episode's even better than ours. And they moved that up to be the season premiere, which 50 years ago, you know, debuted the NBC mystery movie. And and he was so good. He was brought back twice more, even though the third time Peter Falk was like, well, not him again. Well, (laughs) for the for the episode you mentioned, now you see him in which he played a magician. Originally, there was a long list of other people that Peter Falk wanted to get, including Orson Welles, um, but they were too expensive. 
<laughs> so, mm. uh, so they had to settle for Jack Cassidy, who who was perfect. What are those things in TV shows that we saw, and especially by the end of the 70s, it, it was all about the cameo. It, just like Fantasy, Fantasy Island and The Love Boat, the entire shows were about cameos. You had your you, Gavin McLeod, you, you had your, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bernie Coppell, your uh, normal stars of the show, but it was all about, hey, we got to get guest starring on this show. And with Columbo, they had a lot of great guest stars, but was there a balance where you had to go, okay, just because we're getting a good guest, we need somebody who's also going to fit the story arc, the, to fit the canon. And it just really seemed that there were some, that, like I mentioned about Ricardo Montalban, that it just it didn't work out the way that I think it, it should have when you have a great guest on. But then there were other ones, like we mentioned with Jack Cassidy. Again, not the, not the A-lister of A-listers, but it fit Columbo. Just absolutely fit. Was there a was there a feeling like did, did, was the network dictating anything where you say we need bigger stars on Columbo, or were they going the opposite way by saying, hey, if we get these bigger stars, uh, they're going to be a little expensive, and I don't know if we can do this. Yeah, well, it, it, it's a, a little bit of each of those. You have to remember what we're talking about in that when the first the series first started, it was like we have to have each episode feel as if it's a a major feature motion picture. And the desire, especially in that first season, was we want four name guest stars in every episode, just as there would be in a movie. It wouldn't, the normal movie didn't just have John Wayne. You know, you also had John Wayne and then, and then you know, two or three other actors or actresses that you would have heard of. And that was the, the desire. So you'd have, you know, your main killer would be, you know, Jack Cassidy or Robert Culp. And then you'd also get Ida Lopino in there and Dean Stockwell and, you know, other actors that people were very familiar with their name and their their likeness um and then as time went on and the show started getting more expensive that's when nbc and universal started to have to put caps on how much they could spend on the guest stars because before when it first started peter falk made very he made only twenty four thousand dollars an episode which which i'm sure was a lot of money back then but just a, a small it was about five percent of the budget uh Pretty soon, Peter Falk was making 50% of the budget, so they had to start cutting uh, cutting other areas, and one of the areas was guest star. So they put a cap on it. You know, we can only pay $12,500 max for each guest star, and that took people who they wanted to cast, such as Orson Welles uh, as the magician, or Peter Sellers as the uh, evil photographer, or... Uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers as the, you know, old retired dance team. All these people quickly became too expensive for Columbo. And while they, they dreamed of, of having personnel like that later, um, they never again got to have it. And But th that's what's interesting because it's the marquee show that when you think of the NBC, uh, you know, the, the mystery movie wheel, Columbo was the one everyone really looked forward to. And it seemed like those other shows – if they were around longer than a season, that they were kind of just built up because people were looking forward to Columbo in the format. Like you had Richard Boone with uh, Heck Ramsey, McLeod, and Dennis Weaver, and McMillan and Wife was around a little bit longer with Rock Hudson. But I mean, really, when you think of the mystery movie and it, uh, some of the shows, it really lasted only just a few years, and they made so many changes. Like you had Tenafly and. Uh, the Amy Prentice with the Jessica Walter. And then there was another one that was strange. It was, like, it was called 
Is it Lanigan's Rabbi? Is that what it was? That, uh, yes, the, there were about four episodes of a crime-fighting rabbi. That, I, and it had <laughs> that one Art did Carney. not take off. And Art Carney on there. It was like there was another, uh, I think it was McCoy with Tony Curtis. And uh, I think the only other one that really worked out after uh, – the main mystery movie wheel was going on was Quincy, and they kind of spun that away from the mystery wheel. So I kind of thought that if if you're NBC and your marquee show is Columbo, I'd almost give Peter Falk and the entire show and the operation a blank check. Yeah, well, that's pretty much what happened from NBC's side for at least seven years, and but not from Universal start. Universal was producing it. And remember, Universal is cranking out you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of shows, um, and they're just getting a certain amount of money for each show. Um, and as Peter Fox demands sort of drove the budgets through the roof, they were like, well, we're, we're losing money on this show. So after the first couple of years, NBC was being forced because it was their number one program, even though it was only on once every few weeks, um, forced to where initially they were paying part of Peter Fox salary and then it got to be the point where they started uh, agreed if you keep making these universal every penny you spend over your budget will cover and then it got to be the point after seven years where even they realized you know peter fox only wants to do one or two of these a year and it's just not worth it um and that was the end of colombo that's amazing it uh uh, well, and I, I'll get to the end of Columbo in a little bit more, and then bringing it back a, a few years later. But I want to talk about some of the uh, some of the guest stars again. We t- we were mentioning about uh, Dick Van Dyke, uh, William Shatner, uh, Peter Falk's good friend John Cassavetes, uh, Robert Culp, Johnny Cash, Richard Kiley, Martin Landau playing uh, twins. And uh, but what I thought w- was interesting about the Columbo demeanor is that we talk about, oh, he's a scatterbrain. He's all over the place. He's apologetic. He doesn't mean to disturb people. But there are a couple episodes where he does lose his cool. And one of them is with Leonard Nimoy, where he slams the thing on the table. And another is where he uh, uh, he's pl- playing Robert with Robert Conrad in that episode, Exercise in Fatality. And Columbo's like getting really ticked off at him uh, throughout the episode, especially when they're in the hospital in the waiting room. And it's so uncharacteristic for Columbo because usually he's like, ah, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry. This one, he's like, he's, he really can't stand Robert Conrad's character in this. Yeah, there are, it, you can count them on, on one hand. And those are the, the two major ones you mentioned. But Columbo rarely lost his cool. I mean, he had this, uh, how, you, you can argue over it was that how Columbo really wo- was or is this an act? I mean, it's a fictional character, so we'll never know if he was really this way or just, you know, it was all make-believe. But he he rarely let that uh, that sort of angry side show. Um, and Levinson and Link, who designed the show, did not like the idea of ever showing him getting angry. But it was in the second season after they had left where that episode, uh, you know, with Leonard Nimoy as the evil surgeon, where it just got to the point in the script where Falk and Columbo realize this guy's about to kill this lovable old doctor. I, I, I you know, I, I've got to stop him. I got to shake him up. And he just loses his cool. And it's just such a, a wonderful, effective moment. I think solely because it's so rare. If he did this all the time, it would be no big deal. But because Columbo does this like two or three times over the course of 35 years, 
it's really this you know okay he's he's really affected deeply in this moment yeah that in that episode exercise and fatality it, it really it was just a beefcake episode for robert conrad just to have his shirt off for most of the time and it was it was right before battle of the network stars too i believe where he's going up against gabe kaplan <laughs> It's it's interesting because, again, when we're talking about how the episodes changed, that that was a much different type of Columbo than you're going to see. And that's what makes the – it's like you have your central character in Columbo and all this other craziness that kind of ends up happening. And another one was – I just mentioned about Dick Van Dyke, where what was funny about this, and I know you know this factoid, is that he was actually doing episodes – or he was doing commercials for Kodak while he's now playing a murderous photographer in this episode. <laughs> and and it also has some of the best and funnier moments in the episode where you had Joyce Van Patten playing the nun and you had Larry Storch, who was the driving instructor. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it, that's one of that's many people's favorite because not only do you have this terrific uh, performance and episode with... Uh, a Dick Van Dyke playing against character, you know, because up until this point, he'd always been, you know, Bert the Chimney Sweep and Rob Petrie from the Dick Van Dyke show. And all of a sudden he's a he's killing his wife, you know, and, and plays. I mean, Dick Van Dyke could play, you know, angry, evil, you know, just so, so powerfully. So he's perfect in it. And then you have these two short little scenes, which to me are the two funniest episodes in the history of Columbo. And they're both in the same episode. And one is, as you say, Larry Storch uh, trying to give Columbo his driving test and Columbo just being a horrible driver. So, it, <laughs> you know, and, and completely exasperating him. And then uh, he and then another scene, he goes to visit a sort of a homeless shelter to try and find information on a uh, on a suspect. And Joyce Van Patten playing the nun sees, you know, this <laughs> this very rundown looking man in this rumpled uh, uh, raincoat and, and mistakes him for a homeless man and tries to give him a cup of soup and, and replaces a uh, raincoat because it's so you know so tattered so they're just perfect perfect scenes when you talk about Columbo and those funny moments in the in, in it there's also a balance where you don't want it to get too comic you know it just where it's going to kind of feel like a parody and is this supposed to be humorous or not there had to have been that balance because you had Vito Scotti, who was also that comic relief and reoccurred in a, a, a lot of episodes too. But it was one of those cases where you don't want this Columbo episode where you're losing the focus of who he's trying to go after. Um, that you didn't want it to be too jokey where you're going to kind of lose the the momentum of the episode. Yeah, well, I 100% agree. agree. And I think that... Um, many of the episodes that most of the episodes to me are perfect and wonderful, but there's a handful that don't work, especially as the, the series went on. And if you look, at least for me, the episodes that don't work as well, they were often um, produced under a producer who didn't care for the Columbo show. It happened in the very last season of the first run on NBC season seven, and then happened a, uh, off and on throughout the uh, the later years is that you had somebody in charge who loved the Columbo character and was in love with Peter Falk and his personality, but didn't much care about the the mechanics of of what made the mystery work and clues and all that other <laughs> that other stuff. So they put a little bit too much emphasis and time 
into playing up the quirkiness of Columbo. And those are episodes such as those directed by Patrick McGowan and, and others um, who just made Columbo a little sort of, as you say, a parody of himself, sort of Columbo for dummies in which he's playing it, it up too much. And it, it's, it's too over the top. The subtlety is all gone, which, which is so important for, for Columbo. As you say in the book about that Columbo wasn't necessarily canceled, like they, it wasn't this big press release saying we are Colum- uh, canceling Columbo here on NBC, but on, on both occasions when its original run and then eventually when it ended, uh, as Peter Falk's life was slowly wrapping up as well, they just kind of just fizzled out a little bit. But you notice that the trend with NBC at that time, you had over on ABC a lot of what they called the jiggle vision on uh, the TNA TV. And they were getting some pretty good ratings. And then CBS had the nice carryover from the, in the 70s uh, with a lot of the more socially conscious shows like All in the Family and the Jeffersons. NBC went through a bad stretch in the late 70s and early 80s. And it took them until the mid-80s with Cosby, with Miami Vice, Golden Girls to kind of make a comeback. But it really kind of seemed that NBC, because of this, just, you know, really made a lot of bad decisions at that time. And and did they have any regrets of Columbo kind of going away, or was this one of those cases where they felt that it was time to, you know, let the detective retire? Well, yeah, a little bit of of each. I, I don't think they realized what they were were losing. They were concentrating on how difficult it was to work with Peter Falk, um, and each successive year that they had to deal with him, it was not only more expensive but it was just more strife and they were used to just actors and productions doing whatever they dictated. And here was a fellow who stood up uh, because he, he was fighting for the quality of the, the show as well. He was fighting for more money and more time to be able to make movies. That was his dream was to be a movie star for to him. Columbo was a side job. Um, and so, you know, it, NBC, the executives there who were all these people who were about 200 years old apiece, you know, were, were, <laughs> We're sort of imagine a, uh, a executive suite filled with Columbo villains. <laughs> They're all these, you know, haughty, snooty guys who thought people should be kissing up to them. And here, this upstart actor, this rumpled fellow, is telling us what to do. So there, there started being hard feelings there. And then they realized our ratings are are horrible. Columbo and Little House on the Prairie are about the only good, you know, rating shows we're getting. Um, we've got to hire somebody new. So they hired away the the programming genius from ABC, Fred Silverman, mm-hmm. who would brought you know Happy Days and and uh, Laverne and Shirley and um, uh, Charlie's Angels and Three's Company had had brought those type of shows and turned ABC into the number one ratings when it was traditionally number three. They brought him over to come in, and Fred Silverman's idea was, well, let's make this the you know the premier network of like television movies and and bring some youth back and Columbo is is anything but <laughs> but youth so we're not actually going to call Peter Falk up and tell him his show is canceled but we just won't put it on the schedule and instead he commissioned Levinson and Link to create a new show called Mrs. Columbo which mm. would be which would be younger because uh instead of being 50 something years old like Columbo it'd be played by an actress who was 24 um and it would be a lot cheaper and less trouble, and it would be produced by people who will actually do what we say. And how'd that work out? 
poorly. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was. It was. If you if you've never heard of Columbo and you just watched the show, it's not a bad. It's not a bad hour of television, but it has nothing to do with Columbo. So if you have any expectations that this is going to have Peter Falk or the traditional mystery format or it's going to be the character that was developed off screen on Columbo, this woman you imagined who was Columbo's age and ethnicity and, you know, with all the the traits of this, you know, eccentric stay-at-home mom, you were, you know, and then uh, Kate Mulgrew, who was much younger and more beautiful and and whatnot than you imagined. It just wasn't wasn't what anybody expected. And they tried to throw a bunch of nods to Columbo in it. You know, they they you'd see the car occasionally at the mechanic, and there was the dog. Uh, you remember you see the raincoat hanging up in the corner. But Peter Falk was so disgusted by the whole thing, he did not even allow them to put his picture up on the on the mantelpiece. Oh man, yeah, that's a, well, you, you, like you said, it's not a bad show if you never watched Columbo. And I always said this about the movie Airplane Two, the sequel, where. If you never watched Airplane or if it didn't exist, Airplane 2 might be one of the funniest movies in the history of cinema. But because nearly every joke in that movie is a recycled joke from the first movie, it really uh, it was like, oh, okay, so if I if I never saw the first one, this might actually be really good, but it it's held to that standard and it didn't really work out too well. Um well, so Columbo's off TV, now Mrs. Columbo is now off TV. They've basically phased that off. So now you have the 1980s. Uh, Peter Falk does the in-laws with, um, uh, and and it was just a, uh, the in-laws was a great movie. Uh, and then he's doing some other things, uh, and then has that cameo. Well, not not more than a cameo, but in Princess Bride, and he's doing a lot of other things throughout the 80s. Then all of a sudden, 1989 comes around, and our friend Mike Mark Dewidziak with the Columbo file, and right around that time, it, they're about to bring the series back on ABC. Why was it brought back in the first place? And it's funny because when I talk to my wife, my, you know, we're we're both in our thirties. So when I say, "Oh, the new Columbo episode," she says, "What do you mean new? None of them are new. Peter Falk's dead." <laughs> there, but it's like I'm like new isn't relatively new because we think of the classic ones from especially seventy one to seven or seventy seven. But then the new Columbo episodes from nineteen eighty nine to yes, two thousand three was the final Columbo episode. It's funny how that kind of worked out, but was there a demand for new Columbo episodes? And, you know, what like what got Peter Falk interested in and putting the raincoat back on after he was now building up a career post-Columbo? Yeah, well, absolutely. There was huge demand to bring Columbo back because what had happened is once Columbo went off the air, it was on the air more frequently than when it was being produced in that when it was a, a first run show, NBC was airing it uh, more or less once a month as part of the wheel. Once it went off the air, CBS bought the rights and started showing it, um, you know, at first at the late night movie and then at sort of like the Thursday night movie. And so Columbo for a while through the eighties was on every single week, <laughs> you know? So it's like, wait, it's been canceled. It, of course, they were older episodes, you know, made earlier in the 70s that were being rerun, um, but it was now a weekly television show for the first time and got huge ratings. And, and it was like, wait, it, it's doing better now than when we were making them. 
So eventually, by the late 80s, um, ABC got in on the game. Before they were, Universal was primarily working with NBC to try and get NBC to revive the show. And that, uh, you know, that was hard because there were some hard feelings. And NBC, I think, realized it was a mistake not, uh, not continuing on with it. And by that time, Peter Falk had had his feelings hurt. You know, not only did uh, <laughs> did they sort of cancel, but not really cancel his show, but they cancel. You know, they had the creators of Columbo work on the, sh- you know, Mrs. Columbo, the replacement, and uh, you know, so a lot of hard feelings. So he was in no hurry uh, to work with them again, even though he missed doing the character. I mean, he realized how much people loved Columbo, how much it meant to them. Everywhere he traveled, people would call him Columbo, Columbo. You know, and they, There's even a statue, was in Budapest, of him? That, absolutely. It's him and the dog. is, is <laughs> uh, this, this bronze statue, life-size statue. So he is famous as being Columbo all over the world, and he knew, uh, well, there's the demand. I Eventually, you know, I have to get back. And, and what it eventually took was uh, sort of a reconciliation with with uh, Bill Link is that the year before Dick Levinson had had died of a heart attack. He was a lifelong smoker and and died, and he was in his early 50s. And Bill Link was was devastated. He had worked with Dick Levinson on everything he did created since they Mannix. were in junior high. Even Mannix, yeah, they created it together, and everything they wrote for their entire you know since they were in junior high. You know, for 40 years, they did not work except with each other. I don't even know if Bill Link owned a typewriter. He just, you know, it's just <laughs> Dick Levinson typed everything. So he didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't know if he could write or would write. And he, ABC came to him and sort of threw out a lifeline and said, hey, well, you know, well, you want to bring back Columbo? And he said, well, I can try, <laughs> you know, maybe. And they go, okay, well, then you got to convince Peter Falk, you know, because he's, and so he would fly, Bill Link would fly into New York to say, you know what, it's time to bring this character back. He's been away for 10 years. Uh, here's some scripts we did that that shows you how it can still be the same, yet still be fresh. I'd be in charge so that it, I'd demand that it was the same show and the same character and they wouldn't, you know, give him a sexy girlfriend or something like <laughs> that. And and Peter Falk finally relented and, and returned for 20-some more years and 20 some more episodes and uh, mark dewitziak told me that he over the years he got to know peter falk and uh, peter at that point was a avid art collector and there were times where in the middle of the night he would be getting calls from peter falk saying like you know we're uh, we're thinking of doing an episode about an art gallery murderer have we done one of those and he would he would ask like because i mark did the colombo file and so if there's anybody who knows about the ins and outs of uh, of Columbo, it was Mark Dewitziak. So he was kind of like a consultant at the beginning to try to get some of these episodes where they're not repeating concepts or recycling them from the pre- previous episodes. Yeah, well, exactly, because there was a lot of that institutional knowledge had been lost because uh, there were a handful of people working on the show in the in the second run who were associated with the show but nobody was like taking notes and peter falk was was no you know archive of uh you know uh, dependable information he just made everything up in in life as he went along you know just like the character he's, he just flew by the seat of his pants so they did need somebody outside like mark who who actually paid attention and took notes and and took it seriously you know treated it as history 
as opposed to when they were just making TV and you know making it up as they went along. Yeah, that was and when you think of the new episodes and I, I you know during the pandemic and we're home and if me TV you're looking at what's going on it's like oh Jack Cassidy oh the you know like the good guest stars but then you would see it says Columbo whatever the name of the episode 1990 1995 and you had a lot of Patrick McGowan influences and George Went was a guest killer and you know I, I, I'm of the belief I, I guess I'm a Columbo purist because every time I've watched these I want to like the newer episodes. I just don't. I, it's just there. There's moments. Obviously, there's some great moments, and in fact, there are a couple of episodes that I think were just as good. That if they were played 15, 20 years earlier in the 1970s, they'd still be they'd be considered maybe classics right now. But because you're now looking at a Peter Falk who has salt and pepper hair, uh, he's saying just one more thing, which seemed to be more of a thing. Like people were waiting for it. Like, oh, he's going to say it. He's going to, oh, here he's, oh, and ju just one, and he does it. And everybody's like, oh yeah, he did it. And it started kind of becoming like the catchphrase where you knew that they were trying to find a way to jam it in there. And again, I, I, as much as I liked some moments from it, if you're a purist, you're looking at the quote unquote new Columbo episodes and you just go, it's just not as good. Like I watched one re a couple of couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. It was one where there wasn't actually a murder, and it was the wedding episode where the bride goes upstairs, and it's uh, it's I think it's Columbo's nephew, and all of a sudden, you know, and she's gone while he's trying to take a shower, and it was a strange episode that I wanted to like, and I just I, I came away going, eh, it was okay. Yeah, well, one of the problems in the in the later episodes is after the first about year or two is Peter Falk literally took over the show. He became the executive producer um, by about season 10, and he was calling all the shots. And he had, you know, one of this tremendous actor with great with great sense. And he, you know, a good personal ad libber and writer. But as far as being the executive producer in, in charge of the show, he was just too indecisive, and and, <laughs> and his uh, you know opinions were not always correct as far as what were best for the show, and you know and, and he a lot of that was very heavy-handed treatment of the Columbo character and the clues and the mystery itself, and as well he had always looked forward to playing Columbo when he got older because he thought. You know, we've got this sort of forgetful character, and when he's older, oh, the the great comedic opportunities there in this old guy being forgetful. But unfortunately, you know, a lot as I know as I get older, you know, a lot of us old people are naturally forgetful, so it it no longer has the impact that it had when he was, you know, a, an unusual. A person who's this 30 year old guy who's constantly forgetting his pencil if he's an old guy it's this well maybe he's senile or something i don't i don't know so it, does, it it loses a lot of the impact as he gets a little older the final the final columbo episode came out in january 2003 it's called columbo likes the nightlife and i i watched it i've, I've seen it a couple of times and i remembered in the early 2000s that columbo was still going on he had a cameo uh, there was like an when the show Alias was out that they had a quick little crossover. Uh, I, I forgot it might have been one of those ABC specials, it was like a 50th anniversary special, and they had Columbo a part of it. And it's what's odd is, I mean, he is now an old man, and he's a couple of years away from being diagnosed with uh, with Alzheimer's 
or dementia. And he's clearly just, it's, it's a weird, because it also feels like right now, in Columbo Likes the Nightlife, it felt like a typical ABC drama from the early 2000s. And it just so happened to be a Columbo at that time. And it was just, again, another one of those where I wanted to like it. He's at, he's at a rave. Pardon the big reveal for folks who haven't seen it, but there's bodies underneath the, the floor of the, of the uh, rave hall, the, uh, the dance club that's going on at that time. And it's, and he does the just one more thing, but it is really, truly an old man. And then I come to find out that was also not going to be the final Columbo. It just so happened to be the final Columbo that there was going to be one that was supposed to come out in 2007 called Hear No Evil. And obviously it didn't happen. And uh, eventually Peter Falk was really slipping at that point and they weren't able to get another Columbo. It, it, do you, in your opinion, do you think that the new Columbo episodes did, harmed the legacy of the show or because of the purists and how great the 70s were, we still look to the glory days and we kind of just look at those as like just an add-on of, of episodes, kind of like the new WKRP in Cincinnati or any other show that they have kind of brought back over time? I don't know that it harmed the legacy. It, it, it certainly diluted the the brilliance in that you know if you if you're going mathematically looking back at the series there were it was like 90% hits to misses uh with the NBC years and and that could kind of be flipped on its ear in the ABC years so it uh, you know percentage wise it lowered its batting average but I don't know that people think less of Columbo as a whole because of those shows I think it actually helped because it 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 helped the show and the name and Peter Falk to remain of prominence, uh, you know, just gave it that extra burst of, of publicity and awareness, more episodes for us to enjoy. Cause to me, even the worst episode of Columbo is better than the best McLeod. <laughs> so, uh, so I think I'm, I'm grateful to them to that. And, and to me, the more Columbo's the better if, if he would have been allowed to continue making them, uh, after the 70s and then even after 2003 i mean as you mentioned that episode hear no evil um he never thought he would retire the character columbo he thought he'd just you know one day he wouldn't be anymore and then columbo wouldn't be anymore but he just continued making them you know once a year was was his dream to make one columbo a year um and then it as he started getting older and ill and the ratings started slipping. ABC was in no hurry to, uh, no, let's not, you know, let's not do any more Columbos. So he, at that point, could realize, oh, we're nearing the end of the road. So he took that script, which was a brilliant script, Hear No Evil, and he personally rewrote it himself um, into a retirement story um, called Columbo's Last Case. And that was his dream in his final years was to make just one more Columbo. Mm. And it, Unfortunately, that one never got made. Yeah, like from an artistic standpoint, you kind of look at how shows just are on too long. And some shows that they, they only last a couple of seasons. Like I was I was look at the Dave Chappelle with the Chappelle show. When he left for Africa in 2005, they filmed two plus seasons. And when I say plus, a couple of sketches for season three, and then he takes off and leaves the show. Well, if you go on Comedy Central, probably right now as we record this, and as you listen to this, I'm sure Chappelle shows on their block or it might even be showing right now. And I think a lot of it is because the legacy of a show that left on top 
or even Seinfeld for for as many seasons as it was on in, in season nine. I thought Seinfeld in season nine was just as strong as it was in, say, season three or four. And they left on top. Jerry could have kept it going. They were going to open up the bank. They could have kept that show going well into the 2000s. But the problem is you're starting to run out of ideas and it gets to that point artistically where you're like, we're just kind of doing the same things over and over again and we're just making a lot of money. So some shows, the legacy dies a little bit as the show continues. I thought another show that I really enjoyed their first couple of seasons was the show Archer. And after that, it, like it's still on TV and it's just not as good as it once was. And I think when, for me personally, how I look at shows with that legacy, uh, it just, it when they last too long, I, I feel it kind of takes away from how great the show was at the beginning. And for something like Columbo, I notice my, people like myself and other purists, when we talk about Columbo, we're not necessarily talking about the ABC Columbos, we're talking about the NBC Columbos. Right, yeah, no, that uh, certainly... Artistically, it, it uh, Columbo weakened by continuing off, uh, continuing on uh, maybe a bit too long. But uh, you know, it, as I mentioned, the the more the merrier for me. And if he if he could have made uh, one more, and if he could have made additional ones during the the time that he was active making them, as opposed to you know trying to make as few as possible, um, that's something I personally would have enjoyed because it's it's not like we can go back and, and make any more with him. Absolutely. It uh, stealing Columbo or shooting Columbo. I'm looking at a run thing. Shooting Columbo, the lives and deaths of TV's rumpled detective. That book is available. It's by David Koenig. It's uh, fantastic. Is this a book number eight or nine for you? This is number eight. Most of my books are about I wrote a biography of Danny Kaye and six books about Disney, about Disneyland and Disney World and everything else. And so this is this is a, a nice change of pace writing about Columbo. And uh, you did one on Laurel, Laurel and Hardy as well. I did. I edited a book that a, another fellow wrote okay. um, called The Magic Behind the Movies, which is this giant coffee table, beautiful book about Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, that's uh, another one. When you talk about somebody like Peter Falk kind of unappreciated his entire body of work outside of Columbo, I don't think people realize how impactful Laurel and Hardy were because, uh, you know, Babe, Oliver Hardy was he was a, you know, he was a freewheeling. He was a drinker. You know, he had his issues. But but Stan Laurel, and I'm hearing so many stories as time has gone on, whether it was from Dick Van Dyke, whether it's from Woody Allen, from Dick Cavett, how influential Stan Laurel was to not just not just their genre, but the comedy in general and the process of filmmaking and, and doing a lot of that way before anybody knew where you're looking up to Stan Laurel as being one of the greats of all time in that field and largely gets overlooked in his later years. Yeah, and that's uh, he he died in the uh, in the '60s, and by that time um, he was just living in the you know his little apartment in Santa Monica, California, with his wife, and you know just you could he was in the phone book. You could call him up and talk to him, and he'd invite you over, and you can come and talk about his old movies. Uh, and he was just lived a lived a, a quiet life uh, uh, those final years, and, and did not receive that much. A claim he did. There was a big resurgence after he passed away, and through the '70s of of uh, Laurel and Hardy mania, and and perhaps that will come back again one day. I hope so. And uh, what, did you see the movie that came out a couple of years ago? 
I did. I thought they I thought they did a good job. I know Randy Scrivett, the author of of the book, is a is an extreme purist on Laurel and Hardy, so he he will pick that movie to death on on the minutia that was not <laughs> actually you know no that guy smoked a, a, a cigarette not a cigar and you know that type of stuff but for me just the the being able to see these brilliant performances and bring these fellows back to life was uh, i just really enjoyed it uh well because they did the biopic of with them a couple of years ago and it was it was, it was pretty good do you think there is ever going to be a peter falk biopic and if and, and if so who in current hollywood do you think would play him I don't know. I, I think that would be great. Uh, and I, I do hope they they do that. I mean, such an interesting person in real life and so so engaging and still so popular now. And of course, the name that that keeps popping up whenever somebody talks about a Columbo reboot is uh, Mark Ruffalo. So mm. he has sort of that shaggy hair and that he's about the right age of that. We all think of Columbo being um, so that that would be neat to see sometime. I would love to see that. But uh, in the meantime, we have some great books on Columbo uh, and especially this one that just came out this year. And, and basically the 50th anniversary of when Columbo really kicked into high gear in 1971. And that book is Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumpled Detective uh, by David Koenig. David, thank you so much for, for being on here. Great information. There's a lot more stories and a lot more behind the scenes stuff that you can read in this book that, I mean, we really haven't even scratched the surface of a lot of what was going on with Columbo uh, and the lead up and during the show and some of those great factoids that I had no idea about until I read your book. And uh, it, it, this has been fantastic. And I really appreciate you coming on, David. Great. Thank you, Tony. I loved it.